Good morning, Veritas. Uh, my name is Mark Aaron, one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to open up to Genesis 1. And I'm going to read our scripture this morning to begin our time. So we're in Genesis 1, verses 28 through chapter 2, verse 4. This is God's word this morning. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. We are, in this passage, introduced to the first commands, the first commands in the Bible. In a perfect world, untainted by sin, we hear these words, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule, subdue it. If one way to summarize this, all these verbs and then God rested would be, all right, have kids, get a job, take a day of rest. But we have to see that these commands have a context. And that's what I want to spend some time uh, talking about as we begin. What does it say before God gives them this charge uh, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with image bearers? What does it say God says to them? God blessed them. God blessed them. You know, here's a good question to ask as you read the Bible. We talked a couple weeks ago about how God is self-existent. He doesn't need us for anything. So then it begs the question, well, then why did God create the world? Why did he do it? If God didn't need us, why did he do it? So did, was he lonely? Was God sitting up there with, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're like, man, it's really boring up here. It's been a long time. It's been eternity. We should probably do something to fill this void in our hearts. And then, you know, God has a personal testimony, like God created humans, and then he said, wow, it's good. Now my life is complete. Is that why God created us, to fulfill him, complete him in some way? No. So then the answer is, the question is still why. Why did God do it? Why are we here? A good one-word answer to this question, I think, is this word that we see here in verse 28. Blessed. God blessed. Blessed. The, the sharing of happiness. The sharing of joy. My senior year of college, uh, I spent a whole semester trying to answer this question, and I came across this uh, this essay or dissertation or whatever you want to call it, that Jonathan Edwards, he was a 17th or 18th century philosopher, theologian, 
And he uh, wrote a whole uh, essay on this, a, a, a treatise concerning the end for which God created the world. And I uh, did an independent study with my atheist professor on this. And then I wrote a paper on it and we talked about it. And I came across this quote, and this kind of summarizes Jonathan Edwards' reflection on this question, why did God create the world? He says, listen to this, as there is an infinite fullness of all possible good in God, just, just stop for a second, we have, to go, we have to read slowly through this, as there is an infinite fullness of all possible good in God. A fullness of every perfection, of all excellency and beauty, and of infinite happiness. So it seems pleasant that this infinite fountain of good should send forth abundant streams. What a description of God and why he created the world. His, Jonathan Edwards, is, it's like he's saying, why did God create the world? Is like asking, why does the Niagara Falls overflow? Because that's what water is inclined to do. By its nature, when there's an abundance, it overflows. It's spilled out into this, these abundant streams, this infinite fountain of good. That's what goodness does. It shares. So blessing is a theme that you can trace through the whole Bible. You could make the argument that the word blessing, this thread goes through every page, beginning and end of scripture. You get to Abram in Genesis 12, God blessed him and said, through you, all the nations of earth will be blessed. So this theme, if you want to think about what this looks like in an illustration, um, I think of like an ice cube tray. Any of you, I mean, a lot of you are like, I don't know what an ice cube tray is. It's somewhere in the freezer. I, I push the button and water comes out. Well, back in the, in the early days, uh, uh, we had these ice cube trays and we would fill them up with water. You remember those things? And put them in the freezer. And, and how did you fill up the ice cube tray? Some of you is like go under the, under the water like this and fill up all the, the like cubes individually. But I, when I was little, I would fill it up like I would tilt it. I would put it, the spout, under one cube and it, just watch it spill into the others. Any of you do that? Like angle it down and just watch it spill over into the rest. That is what Jonathan Edwards is saying. God is the fountain, but it's not a little stream of water. It's like the Niagara Falls. He's just like this infinite fountain of good. And we are these like little ice cube, ice cube tray, little, little, little place for, to contain the water. And when we get under the, the water, it just spills out. And blessing is meant to overflow. It's meant to share. That's what goodness and blessing does. That's God. That's you. And so God bless them and that's why he says, blessing, the words that follow that, be fruitful, multiply. The blessing has come to you. Now, let it go through you. So if you're taking notes, that's kind of a, the, the main concept we're, we're going to be thinking about this morning is that in the context of blessing, there is responsibility. 
When blessing comes to you, it must go through you. Don't build a dam around the blessing of God. It's meant to be a rushing river of life through you. That's the picture here of Genesis 1. God is an infinite fountain of goodness and joy meant to be shared. If that's all too abstract for you, let's get practical and ask the question, what does blessing look like? Here's where it gets practical. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Literally, what that means is have children. Multiply image bearers of God. You know, we could um, spend a lot of time kind of spiritualizing this. Well, it doesn't mean fruitful. There's a lot of ways to be fruitful. Well, in Genesis 1, he is specifically talking about having children. Uh, So the first point I want to say about blessing, what does blessing look like? This overflowing ice cube tray. Here's the first point. Children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. Again, we could spend a lot of time with all kinds of disclaimers on this point. And we should say this for sure. Because I'm looking out, large crowd of people. You guys are all at different life stages. You're wrestling through different things in your life. We can remind ourselves of Jesus, the ultimate human. He lived his whole life. He was single. He never had children. And no one was more fruitful. No one multiplied more than Jesus Christ. So this, this uh, I want to say this uh, on the front end. We're not going to turn this into legalism. We're not going to pressure each other into having children. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, you know, you should have kids or how many kids you should have and all of that. What I want to... Uh, the culture we want at Veritas, the Genesis 1 culture, is a culture that says children are to be valued. Children are to be highly esteemed. And we as a church should encourage people to have children, to fill this earth. That's one practical way of being a blessing to this world. My uh, wife and I have six kids and our doctor, one of the doctors uh, with our sixth child that was involved um, told us these words. He said, oh, six kids, you'd fit better in a community other than Iowa City. You guys don't belong here. And the midwife told us after the the birth of number six, I know how to fix this. I can give you information on how to prevent future pregnancies if you'd like. Like, you guys are reckless. And like, this is telling my wife, like kind of making her Like, this is not good for your body. We can expect people in the world to talk like that and think like that, right? But Christians, 
we need to think differently. Because we need to think in the context of blessing. And so there's a few points I want to make about how blessed people think on this children thing. Is number one, uh, blessed people think with an abundance, not a scarcity mentality. Do you know what a scarcity mentality is? A scarcity mentality is the obsession with a lack of something. Like, the environment is limited resources. And when you guys have six kids, like, you're taking resources away from us. And there's only so much to go around. And, and like, you're being reckless. You're hurting the environment. Or there's a lack of, of food. Like, what if there's not enough food for our large family? Or maybe a lack of energy. What if I don't have the energy to raise all these children? What about, maybe it's, it's money. We need to have a lot of money and store up because there's a lack of money and kids are going to take money. You know, uh, my wife, Letha, and I had, uh, early on, we had kids and uh, I was detailing cars, making you know, minimum wage, seven bucks an hour. And she was working part-time at a nursing home as a CNA uh, while she was getting her nursing degree and stuff like that. And we're having kids. And, and those were some of the most enjoyable times of our life. Like we had nothing. We had this little family, growing family. And it was a blast. Um, I had a, a friend, he was actually an elder of another church, not here, uh, in a different town, far, far away. You don't know these people, uh, but he gave me this advice. He said, Mark, you should wait to have kids till you're older. I was newly married at this time. You should wait to have kids and have kids when you're older. And uh, you should probably only have like one or two because you only have so much energy. You only have so much time. You can only be so purposeful with your kids. You know, and they're going to be in sports. They're going to do this. So, you know, if you have a lot of kids, you're not going to be able to like, you know, do all their games and get them to all their places and really be purposeful and invest in them. I, I think that was well-intentioned, but I think he was thinking with a scarcity mentality. There's only so much. You know, it's like that, that ice cube tray. That little cube, Mark, you can only handle so much and, and every kid takes from you and it, you only have so much and it gets down. So you, But here's where that's a wrong way of thinking. Of course the world thinks that way because they don't know about the infinite fountain of good that's called God and, and he pours out and gives us the grace that we need and he provides the food that we need and that's his name. God is our provider, right? We know this about God. And, and so we have a different way. We think out of abundance, like God will give me all the grace that I need to raise this child or these children. Yes, when we give, the water level goes down, but I have access to an infinite waterfall of grace. And what I have discovered now that I'm, you know, I'm not 23 anymore, right? 45, and what I have seen is the opposite is true. Love multiplies. 
And I can't explain it. I was, I was uh, talking to a, a pastor friend. He was older, had six children. We were on a walk and I was talking to him and I asked, I'm a young man. We have five kids at the time. And I said, what's a life regret that you have as a pastor? And you know what he said? I wish we would have had a seventh child. And I could not believe it. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? Like, that's really? I think I'm drowning right now. And you, you wanted more kids. Wow, as an older man, he's looking back, reflecting on his life. He's saying, yeah, actually, that's a regret that I have. And we had number six. Wow, he's, he's probably on to something. We had our sixth child. And I can tell you now, as I look back on my life, uh, and where we're at in the teen years, oh yeah, there's some really hard days. But I'm telling you, this last summer, like I feel like I'm living with all my best friends. And every night we'd end up just hanging out on the porch, talking, right? It's like our family is like a, a party wherever it goes because the love has multiplied. And what I've discovered is we need to think with this abundance mentality that that God will give us whatever we need to do his will. And he will meet our, our needs. The second thing is that blessed people think, I'm going to use some, a big word here, teleologically, not psychologically. And this word teleologically, like telos in Greek, is like the end or the, perp, the, the aim, like what you're aiming for. Another way to think about this is, is purpose. To think teleologically is to think in terms of purpose, not psychologically, which has to do with your emotions and feelings. So I don't necessarily think, how do I feel about this topic of children? I want to, you know, that's, that's how the world thinks. I, I am what I feel. But a Christian thinks, how was I designed? What is the design God made me for. So for example, if you look at, if you're having a conversation with a cheetah who's like, you know, I'm really insecure about my long hind legs and I actually don't like to run around and chase food, right? The gazelle, that's a ton of work. I don't like my teeth. I kind of want to be an herbivore. I want to just mosey around and eat grass all day. Isn't that a much better life? It's so much work being a cheetah. Or a beaver. You're talking to a beaver. And you're like, I don't like these big teeth. I don't like eating wood. I want to eat grass. Well, what we discover about these animals is they have a, they have a telos. They have a, if, if a, if a beaver is going to think teleologically, it's going to think, I was made for wood. And you know what? There's a purpose in that. I was just listening to a, a, a news story about how beavers are really good now in drought because they're creating dams and, and water pools for other animals, and the farmers actually like them now. So there's a purpose in beavers and their, their teeth and eating wood, right? Cheetahs, same thing. You have a purpose. You have a design. God created them male or female. Reproductive body parts complementarity between men and women. Think teleologically. When it comes to sexual, sexuality, the world thinks psychologically. How do I, how do I feel? Don't, we don't think that way because we see in Genesis 1, 
There is a design for men and women to multiply. Third thing, blessed people think sacrificially, not selfishly. A friend of mine said, Mark, I'll have as many kids as my wife can raise. That's like saying, Mark, I'm a super selfish man. And I don't want children to get in the way of my big career and my hobbies. I'm fine with kids as long as they're an inconvenience to her, but not to me. That is just not how Christians think. Blessed people think sacrificially. The last thing about on this thinking about how blessed people think, we think with faith, not fear. When it comes to Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, I think a lot of us are afraid of so much that could go wrong. How's this going to affect my body? What if I have a miscarriage? What if the child has a disability? What if the child turns away from Jesus? What if something goes wrong? This week, I called up my friend, Zach Payne, and I uh, wanted to talk to Zach because they just had a a baby a couple months ago. Uh, Zach and I got to know each other through, uh, he was an interim pastor in Southern Iowa, and he and his wife, Chelsea, recently, within the past month or so, started attending Veritas and and they're going to be a part of our church community. Well, they had a child, uh, and I want to introduce you to Hattie. Here's Hattie. Hattie was born with Down syndrome. And I called him, and I said, Zach, this is the point I'm making in my sermon. What do you have to say about parents who might be afraid of something like this? He said, Mark, we are one of the lucky few. Hattie is her name, uh, named after Charles Haddon Spurgeon. <laughs> Sweet Hattie. He said uh, she has the sweetest disposition and she's, she struggles because of, she's got some heart issues. And he goes, I'm so proud of my daughter. She is such a fighter. She's got an overcoming, fighting spirit. And he goes, Chelsea and I talk about how when we're 50, what a joy to have her on vacation with us. How much life and love she's going to bring. And he goes, just ask the volunteers and Veritas kids if Hattie is a blessing. She alone is a reason to want to volunteer in Veritas Kids. What a gift. What a blessing it will be to have her in the Veritas family, to see her grow, to get to see her in youth ministry, and how God will use her life to display his glory. Zach is a blessed man. Chelsea is a blessed woman, and they believe 
and they live with faith, not fear. Well, I want you to think about Genesis 1 and what this means for you. If you're married, talk about this with your spouse. How do we as a couple think through this? Maybe you are older and past, well past this topic, and you're like, well, I hope the young people are here. Oh, no, uh, this is for all of us. What does this mean for how you as an older person can encourage children and be a blessing? I was, uh, heard from a friend that they, they just adopted a bunch of children and they have a very small house and somebody wrote them a check for $100,000, an older person who just wanted to bless them and help them and come alongside them. Think of all the ways you might live out being fruitful and multiplying and being a blessing. Adoption. I look out and I see people who have adopted. What a gift. Children are a blessing from God. What an amazing gift this is. I want to tell you about a couple. They were in their late 20s and they had two children. The wife said, we're done. The husband said, I, I was hoping we would have a big family. So they went, got counseling, prayed about it, wrestled through it as a couple. And thank God that they got some good counsel and they had one more child, child number three. And that child was me. not going to tell you if you should have kids or how many kids you should have. There are a lot of ways to be fruitful and multiply as a Christian. We need to see this in the context of God's whole redemptive story. But do you believe this morning that children are a blessing? So many ways for us to apply this. The second thing, as we're moving through this text, is he says the command to rule and subdue the earth. Subdue. This Hebrew word, kabosh, it is a word, it's like an onomatopoeia. You know what an onomatopoeia is? It's, a, it's the naming of a thing or an action by a vocal imitation of the sound associated with it, like buzz or hiss. Right? It's not, the word sounds like what it is. Kabosh. You can kind of hear the squish, like squish. Uh, that's what this word is. It's saying kabosh, this creation. What does that mean? It means you're going to have to rule over it. Use the earth's resources and its potential for your benefit. All these seed-bearing plants, you're going to take these seeds, plant them in the ground, space them out, plant these fields, we see these golden fields this fall. That's, that's an example of ruling and subduing the earth. This beautiful world is going to need some farmers and gardeners to unleash its potential. And this will require you getting a job and working six days a week. That's essentially what he's saying here. So the second thing, work is a blessing. 
Work was not a result of sin and the fall. Work was done in the garden, and work is done in service to our neighbor and the world. We see this, there is a worker shortage, right? And there's a lot of things that need to get done, and we need people to do them. No job is below any one of us. Work has meaning. Work is good. Work is a blessing. It's part of how you were designed. And things, uh, when we don't work, go to chaos. I was with a friend. Uh, he was, works at this golf course. We were down by one of the holes, and we we're looking out at the, the river, and it just looked like a jungle. He's like, hey, Mark, believe it or not, a year or two ago, that was hole number three. Hole number three, there's no possible way. He goes, oh, yeah, it looked perfectly manicured, just like this fairway and the green. Yeah, the green was right over there. And all I'm seeing is like jungle, chaos, disorder. A golf course is what happens when people rule and subdue and bring order and beauty out of the world. But if you're lazy, right, things just go to chaos. And this is why we need to imitate God in this, who's who's ordering his creation. When we work, we imitate God. There's no meaningless job. It's filled with purpose. The last thing in verse two, chapter two, verse two, it says, on the seventh day, God, he completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. This word rested is the word Shabbat. Some of you guys in Hebrew uh, know that this means to he ceased he stopped working. Last point I want to make here is that rest is a blessing. Rest is a gift. Think about the context of this. These people were coming out of slavery in Egypt, working, grinding, finger to the bone, right? And they get out into the wilderness. God gives them the law. And he's like, here's what you need to know. You're my people. You're no longer slaves. And part of being a blessed people means a day of rest, a day to stop working. Rest is a blessing. When you rest, you imitate God. What are you resting from? You're resting from striving to provide for yourself, gathering up. What if I don't pick the corn this day? What if I don't gather the apples this day? What if I don't go into work this day? I'm, I don't need to provide. God will provide when I rest, I'm resting from striving to prove myself. I have nothing to prove. I don't need to provide. God will supply everything I need. Do you trust God enough to take a day off? This morning, we are here because this infinite fountain of good, of love, of beauty just poured out blessing into our lives. And now he's saying, through children, through work, through rest, we share that with God's creation. And in Ephesians 1, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The greatest way that God showed his blessing to us is he gave us Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you poured out your love into our lives through the person of Jesus. We thank you that you, we thank you that it's your nature to share your love. And this morning, I pray that your love will come to us. Anyone who's feeling empty or hurting or broken, would you just put them under this waterfall of blessing and remind them about your love for them? And then show us as a church, how is the blessing supposed to go through us? Who can we be a blessing to today and this week? Fill us with your love. And let it overflow, we pray in Jesus' name.